When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given, a cricket podcast and it feels a bit like Groundhog Day at the moment. We haven't been a great good luck omen to the England cricket team because it feels like a lot of the times I've started these podcasts that we've not been doing for that long with another defeat for the English Test team. This time a very, very comfortable defeat at the hands of New Zealand, who it should be said before we completely stick the knife into the England batsman, which I'm sure we will at some point. New Zealand were brilliant and England could do a lot worse than learning from their opposition that beat them this week in front of a amazing crowd at Edgebaston. I was very lucky to be there on the Saturday and we'll talk about that a bit later on, but brilliant atmosphere at Edgebaston on Saturday. Let's get straight into it. But before we completely dissect the England cricket team, let's talk about much more importantly, Stephen Finn the lesser spotted Stephen Finn has actually been playing cricket and actually been bowling. Two games, Finney. You look like you're bowling pretty well to me, I've got to say. Enjoying it? Well, I mean, enjoying it as much as you can when you lose two games. <laughs> Played two, lost two so far. Um, but yeah, nice to be back out there. Nice to be, you know, the, the buzz of crowd, a crowd inside Lords again. Hadn't experienced that for since 2019. Uh, so even... I think five or 6,000 people at Lords felt like 20,000 the other night um, in the atmosphere, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, we, we're yet to pick up any momentum yet in the tournament, but hopefully that will come. And I'm, Dan looks very happy that we didn't get any momentum against Surrey. <laughs> well, I mean, you never do, do you, in T20 against Surrey? I mean, that's just one of the givens in life that Surrey will beat Middlesex and lose to Morgan. That's basically how it normally goes. But um, Will Jacks, you got to see him at, at first hand and, you know, you're trying to get to seven sixes so you can get a bottle of champagne out of us. Any any tips that you could pick up from him? Um, well, yeah, if someone slams it in halfway down, you just swing at it as hard as you can and it tends to go for six. <laughs> he, um, he played beautifully, didn't he? He played wonderful innings and um, really took the wind out of ourselves in those first six over. I think they got 70-odd in the first six and 
yeah, it was a chanceless innings from him, really. Uh, and then even if you put men on the boundary, he hit it straight over their head. So um, fair play to him. He got the better of us there. There's, there's been, there's, sorry, I was just going to say, there's been a lot of heavy run scoring in the blast. Is that, I mean, are the pitches you're playing on now, does, are they totally transformed from what they were like at the start of the season? I mean, we saw Joe Clark get that unbelievable 100. Is this like the graveyard time of year to be bowling? June, yeah. Sun is out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the boundaries are small. Generally, the boundaries get bought in at ground. Um, the the pitches tend to be very, very good, especially under lights with a white ball. Um, and the weather that we've had over the last few weeks has meant that groundsmen have had every opportunity to get onto the pitch and roll them and cut all the grass off them. So, yeah, it's um, the ball's not deviating. The boundaries are small. The bats are big. Um, so you, you have to find a way to survive as a bowler. Is, is it as simple as, you know, when you play club cricket and as soon as you turn up at a ground and it's hard, everyone goes, oh, road, road. You know, you don't want to bowl on this. But I've always found in my very low standard of cricket that I quite like a hard deck because at least you know that if you bowl well on it, you get nice carry through to the keeper and stuff like that. But with the boundaries in like that and the bats they use nowadays, is it as simple as if the pitch is hard at the elite level, then it's not much fun to bowl on? I mean, what would be a hard pitch for you would probably be, with the greatest of respect, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, yeah, of course. would be an absolute pudding for, right. for yeah. a professional player. Like, the hard wickets are like, literally, you bang your fist on it. It's like hitting concrete. Um, so there's no chance of the ball sticking in the wicket or deviating right. or anything. So, yeah, I mean, it's... And again, the white balls obviously play a very big part in that as well. Um, and the... the the squares not having much cricket on them last year meant that um, meant that the pitches didn't break up as much, which means that they're in better nick when it comes to the beginning of this year. So I reckon there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, but generally, well, and also a lot of grounds have hybrid wickets now, which are almost a tenth or a quarter artificial. And then the rest of it is a normal wicket. But... It just means that it's like bowling on an AstroTurf the whole time. So the bounce is even, the carry's true, um, but it means that it just skips onto the bat like you're bowling indoors. Well, that, that, that fascinates me. So is that, they're being used for T20 and for red ball as well, are these, these hybrid wickets? No, just T20. I, don't, I think there's still question marks about how they'll react over the course of four days. Um, but I think for T20 cricket, it binds the whole wicket together and just makes there a more even covering of stuff on the wicket so that it means that the ball just skips on as opposed to um, sort of sticking in the wicket or making it a, a more of a bowler's paradise. So, yeah, when you turn up and you see a hybrid, you know it's going to be a bit of a graveyard. This is a calamity. I mean, who, who is going who is going to want to do this job, Vinny? This is madness. So we're, we're actually creating the circumstances in which the harder you run in and the harder you bowl, the further you're going to go every time. It seems that way, yeah. Unless you can bowl 95 <laughs> miles an hour, then you might be all right. But right. <laughs> in that... Kumar for India seems to do okay with the white ball in his hand in T20 and ODI cricket. There's still hope for little trundlers out there everywhere listening to this. It's fascinating what you say about the pitches because I played a charity football game once at Selhurst Park. And before I played, I spoke to my mate Matt, who's been a coach at Notts County and stuff like that. So he's played on professional pitches and I said oh, I've got a game at Selhurst Park in a week and he said watch the bounce and I said what do you mean and he said you've never played on a pitch like this you've never seen a pitch this hard before as the one that the pros play on and I was like all right okay thanks for that 
30 seconds into the game, I'm playing centre-back. Ball goes out for a flow and the right-back goes to take it. I go, yeah, here, mate, throw it back to me. He throws it back to me. I let it bounce about 10 metres in front of me, just thinking I'll chest this. And it bounced so far over my head, I had to go and fetch it from my goal line. And I couldn't believe it. And I, I just thought, if Matt's watching the live stream of this, the one bit of advice he gave me. But I couldn't prepare myself for how hard the pitch was. So I'd imagine it would be a very rude awakening if I bowled on one of these artificial wickets. They used to, they, there were a couple of them came out in the late 80s, I think, at QPR and Luton, wasn't it? I think they put down, was it Luton? They put down, like, totally artificial pitches because they've been snow and, you right. know, all Christ, that's a disaster. And he watched it, and it was like watching five-a-side in, you know, on the local Astro, where everything pings unbelievably quickly. And they, and they abandoned it as an experiment. It's great that it's been applied now to cricket, so it can come in and destroy Finney's heart and, <laughs> and, every, and every other hard-working, toiling bowler. So a bunch of jokers can come in with a massive Woodstock bat and smash the ball to all parts. Great mention of Woodstock. Great well, I thought it was a good event. Yeah, it's a great shame that, that Finney hasn't used his superb effect. But he did get that six, and he did put it up on social media, and it was very impressive, Stephen. I was very impressed Wonderful by that. Wonderful six, sure. I know. Well, actually, I've got I've got a bone to pick with you two because oh, you know you um, yeah another one um, another <laughs> bad thing about cricket. Um, I you know you sledged me for hitting a a school child for six a few weeks yes. ago. Yes. Well. That school child won man of the match in the Vitality Blast for Sussex. <laughs> was nice it that go. kid? I saw him. Yes. Yeah. Him? So I oh. think that needs to be retracted, the score that you gave me for that six, and, oh. and it boosted to a full um, because he's a T20 specialist that stops people hitting sixes, and I bombed him for six over his head. So there. I think, yeah, I think actually, look, Finney, the thing is, we're not cruel and harsh men, are we, Tobe? And no. you, you, you brought to the, the presidium if I, like, if I can call us that, the star chamber, you brought a genuine grievance. And I think we could put that out to the the watch, the listening audience. Uh, yeah. I'm minded, I'm minded to upgrade it. So what did we give him before? Was it 0.25 or 0.5? I think, I think we gave it a 0.5 in the end because it was a second 11.6. But we, we can revisit this, Finney, because fair well, it, play. It, it, it can't be more than one six. But no, the question no, is, well, no. how much does it go up from 0.5 in the direction yeah. of one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, me, me, and, me and Daniel will talk after this podcast, Finney, and we'll, and we'll come back to you next week on that, mate. But um, good, good point well made, Finney. I accept that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, now, Finney, it was it was genuinely lovely to see you uh, to see you having a bowl, and I saw the Middlesex team come out, and I knew you were going to be on the TV. So I was saying to my missus, I said, "Oh, Finney's bowling. I'm going to watch Finney here and get behind you, and you bowled nicely." And but I want to ask you about something because you, you got name dropped by the coolest man in the world, the the, the very impressive Mr. Michael Holding. So it was a kind of throwaway line, and it was during the test against New Zealand, and Michael Holding was talking, and I wasn't expecting to hear your name. And he just, out of nowhere, he was talking about, you know, the rest and rotation in the England team. And he said, I thought Stephen Finn was badly managed by England. And the commentator went, oh, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I always thought Finney was not looked after very well. He bowled with genuine pace and they could have looked after him better. And I was like, oh, this is fascinating. And then they just went to an ad. And when they came back, they'd completely forgotten about it. And they moved on. So he never elaborated on it anymore. That's like my career, though. <laughs> I remember that. They went to an ad break. And I, I never saw you again. I never saw you again. <laughs> um, but I, I was going to ask you about that. And uh, and whether you ever felt when you were playing for England, that, like whether you look back now differently, or even at the time, if ever you noticed you were going, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't have played here. Or maybe I should have played here. Or maybe, you know, you, you mentioned last week about Owen Morgan 
goes out there and, and gives the players the freedom and the confidence to, to express themselves. Did you ever, did you feel like you always were being put out onto the pitch for England with 100% confidence in, in your own game? Did they instill that sort of confidence in the squad like Owen Morgan's clearly done with the white ball team? Um, yeah, I did. I suppose that's a different thing to being mismanaged because I'd say mismanagement of a young fast bowler is probably over bowling, um, bowling when it's unnecessary or being held back at certain times when it is necessary to, um, to bowl. So, uh, I mean, again, you, you go through the eras of cricket and now it's 11 years since I made my test debut. So it's a significant length of time um, in English cricket. And I'm sure that the guys who played before me, so who would have played in the 90s or the 2000s, probably would have felt even, or would have felt mismanaged, um, definitely would have been mismanaged at that stage. But I suppose you, you look back to early in my career and you know, there are instances where you'd be in a test match squad and you'd be told the night before that you weren't in the 11 for the game. Uh, but Middlesex were starting day two of a championship match the following day. So, and it happened probably three or four times where you would get in your car at the test match. I remember doing it from Leeds was probably the furthest away that I did it. I think there was one at the Rose Bowl, one at one elsewhere, but I did Leeds to London. So at 10.30 when the toss went up and I knew that I couldn't play because everyone had done their warm up and no one had got injured. I got straight in my car at 10.35 in Leeds, drove whatever it is to Lords, two and a half hours to Lords, turned up and then started playing the game as soon as, pretty much as soon as I got there. And I got Wes Durston out LBW with my first ball, actually. So I warmed up in the long room, walked out onto the pitch at Lords, and I think I got Wes Durston out first ball. Um, and there'd always be on one unlucky bowler that, I'd have to replace. It was usually a guy called Stephen Crook who um, he'd start the game and play the first day and like hour of the session or something. Um, and then I'd come flying down the motorway and replace him a day and a little bit into the game. Um, so you'd be like, thanks a lot, Crookie. <laughs> yeah. I'm popping in now. Um, and you look at instances like that and, you know, the, the injury troubles that I've had and the fact that I mean, I'm 32 and I've played 156 first-class games and that's and I've barely played in the last three years, really. I'd have played maybe 10 games in three years, something like that. So, um, yeah, I played 150 games at the age of 29, which is a considerable amount for a bowler. So, yeah, you look back at it and you think, you know, obviously very grateful and very fortunate to have played a lot for England. I mean, I've played 120-odd games, so there'll be a lot of people out there that say, no, you weren't mismanaged. You were fortunate to play that many games. And I accept that. That's completely fair enough. Um, but you do look at instances like that and you wonder whether stuff like that would happen now. And I, I'm pretty certain that it wouldn't. It absolutely wouldn't, yeah. That, that feels to me like lunacy, doesn't it? Because the point of central contracts was to be able to control a group of players so you could control their fitness, their programmes, uh, ensure they were getting enough cricket, of course, but at the same time, make sure they didn't have to do the incredibly dark things happened throughout the 80s. You know, in the 80s, people played three-day championship matches starting on a Saturday. And on the Sunday, would sometimes, you know, Foxy Farrell tell you, would drive from Southampton up to Old Trafford to play a 40-over game on the Sunday and then drive back on Sunday night to complete a three-day game on Monday and Tuesday. 
And central contracts was kind of a reaction to the lunacy that county cricket had become. But the idea that you'd have control of a player like Stephen at, at that point, so he's doing his warm-ups right and everything's being controlled, everything's great, and then say, right, now go down, um, you'll be expected to warm up in the pavilion and then walk straight out of the field of play, is a ridiculous kind of disconnect from one system to the other. And it doesn't make sense even within the idea of, of central contracts and, and managing players. It's just such a weird thing to hear. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I, I can't even be asked to talk about the, the rest and rotation anymore. We've talked about it every week, even though I promise I'm not going to. But I mean, you look at now where we're saying they're overprotecting the players. And yet we're only talking 11 years ago, which I know is a long time ago, but it shows how much the game has moved on from that. That they've gone from, you know, probably not playing the players enough, if anything, to, to jumping in a car and driving down and immediately. I'll tell you who's come out of this story looking terrible, though. Poor Wes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he was he was he, 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 poor bloke. He, he was just getting ready to face crookie, and the next thing you know, England fast bowler Stephen Finn comes in and gets him first ball ninety odd miles an hour. He must be. Well, living. the funny thing was, it it was we had a sponsorship deal with Jaguar at the time as well, England, and you got a free car from Jaguar um for your troubles of having a central contract. It was one of the best things about a central contract then, because I think. They're worth about a fifth of what they are now, but it was um, it you had this Jaguar car, um, and I chose the smallest, quickest one that you possibly could. So it was called an XKR, and I remember getting in it and thinking it was a bit dicey driving twenty minutes down the road. It was that small, like you'd sort of peel yourself out of it. But two and a half hours in the car um, down to London from Leeds, you, you needed a crowbar to get me out of it. And then I literally walked straight out onto the pitch and bowled. So it's amazing. That I didn't even get injured in that game, to be honest. <laughs> well, it's very nice to see you back on our screens and bowling. Genuinely funny. From the outside looking in, and I'm not just saying nice things because I'm aware that we have to have a net session at some point, which reminds me of something else that I'll bring up in a sec. But, um, from the completely neutral outside in looking point of view, I always feel like you were a very, loved member of that England team. And I feel like, I feel like England fans always talk fondly of your time in an England shirt. So short-lived as it was in, in some ways, because, you know, you, you had your injuries and stuff like that in out of the side. But did you always feel like a lot of love from the fans? Because I just always picture you being a very popular member of the England team. And, 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 and I, I don't know why I think Dan posed the question last week of why do some players capture fans' imagination? And I said, I think it's effort. I think that's why people like Wagner, because he comes tearing in for New Zealand at the age of 35. I always felt like, you know, you, you wore your heart on your sleeve and gave 110%. Did you feel a popular part of that England setup? Um, yeah, I suppose so. I actually think the thing that helped us as a team the most to become popular was um, Swanee's Diaries in Australia, mm. where um, somehow, and I still don't know how he managed to do it, he managed to convince the... ECB that it was a good idea to give Graham Swan a video camera and let him video random things and like I watch those back sometimes and they are genuinely hilarious yeah. <laughs> unbelievably yeah. funny and they ripped the piss out of me in that a fair bit so like would turn up at press conferences I was giving and would be shouting things from the back at me um, and taking the mickey out of my hair and just like things that I think because I was a kid as well I was 20 or 21 years old that people might have watched it and been like, oh, he's, just, he's a young kid like with these guys and they're all having fun. And I think that that actually helped people like have a window into the dressing room to see what people's personalities were like. 
Um, mm. and, and yeah, I think that plus winning the Ashes in Australia that time, which was a monumentous achievement for us as a group of players, um, I think that definitely helped people be favourable towards us and, um, and, and yeah, get behind us as a team. I mean, that's all a lovely story and I, and I get it, Finney, and, and if you want to rationalise it like that, but actually it's just because you fall over when you bowl. And um, everyone loves someone who falls over when they bowl. So look at Mark Wood. They love it when he falls over. When Ollie Stone <laughs> fell over, it's, it's, the, it's the fast bowler fall over club. And yeah, well, uh, we all love you for doing it. I've done that a few times this year, actually. Actually, I'm talking about that net um, that we were meant to have. I've got no. a delivery that I need to send to the WhatsApp group. Oh, that I no. got a wicket another... with the other day. Oh, no. Is it another one that really... Now, now, this leads on very, very nicely to what I was going to mention. Uh, so, Daniel Norcross, ask me what I've been up to this evening before we started recording the podcast. So, Toby, um, before we started recording the podcast, uh, what have you been up to? So, Daniel, I'm so glad you asked. So uh, this evening, I finally cashed in a, a Christmas present. So myself and one of the other fast bowlers from the cricket team that I play for, the mighty Stoke Dabberton, we bought each other a Christmas present, which was an hour's net session at Lord's. And it's with the full Hawkeye and stuff like this. And, and that won't mean much to Stephen Finn because he gets all this technology at the drop of a hat. But for me and my mate, this is the most exciting thing in the world. So my mate Robbie and I, Went to Lord's today for, at seven o'clock for an hour's Ooh. bowling in the nets. Ooh. And we had a nice coach there. And we had another guy up in the stands who was doing all the technical side and getting all the videos for us and showing us all our stats and everything. And uh, I run in and I bowl and I walk back to my mark, first ball of the night. And the coach turns to me and he goes, bit of Stephen Finn about your action. And I went, Ooh, don't you, I said, I've don't seen you, your action. That's I, disgraceful. <laughs> I said, don't you dare. <laughs> Don't you dare compare me to Stephen Finn, right? So you bowl six balls and then you go upstairs in the video suite and you watch yourself back and they give you a couple of small pointers or things to work on, or in my case, about 100 pointers to work on. And then you go back down and you bowl six more. So one of the things he told me was, you know, I, I, I bowl a bit, too, a bit too wide from the crease, get a bit closer to the stumps. So what do I do? I bowl a run up and I bowl close to the stumps and my hand hits off stump and he goes, oh my God, you really are Stephen Finn. And I went, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> did you fall over tell me you fell over yeah. please tell I, did, me I didn't fall over. over that was the only thing missing and then the guy said to me he goes well thanks to Stephen Finn that's a no ball and, yeah. that, and that, that rule is still in place to this day in fairness thanks to Graham Smith I, I'm not blaming yeah. Stephen Finn for that one yeah. That's, yeah. That's, so, yeah. but I know what you mean yeah yeah, so so thanks to you, Phoenix. So apparently I've got my bowling action slowly turning into you, and then I got close to the stumps, and I, I, I took the bail off with my finger. Yeah, but wait a minute, Tobes. Tobes you, you, you have completely failed to mention how fast you were bowling. No, I was, I was afraid you'd ask this question. Yeah, well, it's the obvious question I, to ask. I was afraid. But bear in mind, I, I, didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I was getting off a full run-up in there. Go yeah, on. don't care. Don't care. I mean, you could do a morning walking and just go round in a circle and then come yeah. in. You know, just adapt, well, Toby. I, 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 I am going to be honest with you now and tell you that, Finney, in the nets, you will be facing every last millisecond of my 72.9 miles an hour. <laughs> That's slower than Tim Murta. Oh, no, it's quicker than, it's quicker than Darren Stevens. <laughs> that it is, yeah. It's quicker than Darren Stevens. 
Honestly, my mate said to me beforehand, how quickly do you reckon you bowl? And I went, oh, 70, 77, I'm going to put 77, 72.9 is, is, is what you've got to look forward to, Finny, mate. We call those, um, we call those donkey drops or powder puffs <laughs> in the professional game. <laughs> Absolutely gutted when that speedometer came up. I was like, oh, you're kidding me. Are you so, sure it's not broken? <laughs> I, think, I think so. It must be an 82.9, surely. In that case, given that I'm supposed to be umpiring this, I demand the Bruce Oxenford thing, right? <laughs> if, you're, if you're bowling, if you're bowling to Finney at seventy-two point nine miles an hour, I need a, yeah. I need a shield, and actually, I need yeah. an entire like suit of fucking armor. I, to be honest, I should have done this net when we first talked about it as well, because Finney's slowly hitting himself into some form. He keeps sending us videos of sixes. This is uh, this is a worry. Now, Stephen Finn has now said, whilst that was going on, he has sent a video to the WhatsApp group of a delivery that he bowled in the nets. Now, there, there, well, in I the nets, it. it's in a game. Oh, is it? Oh no, yeah. Oh no! What's this? Uh, I'll have to. My, my phone's on the fritz. Here we go. Right here we go. Let's have a look. Opening the zero dots given. Oh, it's in the it's in the white ball stuff. Who is it against? Who's it, who it against? He's in. Set the scene. Ooh! I tell you what, Norcross. I don't like the look of that at all. Let me describe this to you. In well, yeah, best please, please. I mean, I think the wrong person's describing the frigging ball. Clearly, you yeah, can't well, you, do you've got a phone as well, Norcross. You're in this WhatsApp group. Yeah, I don't uh, know how so, to access it at the same time as zooming. So Stephen Finn. <laughs> Stephen Finn ambles in up to the crease and he bowls and it rears off a length and it's gloved through to the wicketkeeper. I tell you what, that's a, that's an ugly, ugly delivery to face that Finney. Oh, mate. I saw the scorecard. I didn't see the wicket. So that's one of them, isn't it? Who's that batting? Um, Ollie Robinson. He hit me for two fours, actually, the two balls before. So Kent's Ollie Robinson. Yes, Kent's Ollie Robinson. The, yeah, one, yeah. the one that we had to clarify that wasn't last <laughs> yeah, week. Yeah. He's, he's had a hell of a week. <laughs> Poor bloke. Yeah. He gets, he gets flack on social media, then Finney bounces him out, poor guy. Um, right, let, let's talk about England then. We've delayed it long enough. Let's talk about the England cricket yes. team. So I said at the start of the podcast, it feels like Groundhog Day. It certainly does watching England bat at the minute. And I was there on Saturday and it had everything except for the batsman because the sun was out, the atmosphere was brilliant, fancy dress, the holly stand was in great nick. It was lovely to be back at Test Cricket. However, England batted horrendously and in if India it was alien conditions you know in England we haven't lost a test at home for years and it was a really ugly way to a uh, test series at home for years and it was a really ugly way to to finally do it and the sad thing is they're getting out in the same ways they're 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 not paying respect to test cricket and I thought Nasser Hussain was brilliant the other day saying that essentially the current England setup is saying ignore all the people that have played this game before you're wrong and we're right and our method is the way to go about it if you bowl in a good channel outside off stump for long enough, which, by the way, the Australians are certainly going to do at the end of this year, our batsmen can't resist having a little nibble. Rory Burns, who's the best batsman in the series by a long way, so I don't want to criticise him too much. Second ball of the innings. Second ball of the innings. Full-blooded drive he went for. We're already 90 runs behind. Full-blooded drive. But I'm saying this like it's a shock. It's the same thing all the time. And I think for me, the biggest worry is that you know, we're resting Stokes and Butler, but that top order was was how it's going to probably be in Australia. And also, there's not people hammering the door down in county cricket. It's not like you go, oh, great, well, we'll drop him and bring in him. These are the guys that have scored runs at in the four-day stuff at county level. So 
I don't know what's going on. And it's not as easy to say, oh, it's the advent of white ball cricket because New Zealand play white ball cricket as well. And they do it much. They, they seem to be OK. They're all averaging in the 40s down to about number seven. Um, Daniel Norcross, just first of all, as an England fan, I, I, was, I, you know, I was pissed off. I was genuinely, I was pissed off. It was beyond a laughing joke because in England, I expect us to win yeah. test series. And we were awful. How did you find it all, Daniel? Well, I, 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 firstly, I'd just like to say that's a brilliant synthesis of the general furious outrage and disappointment of mm. the of the England cricket fan. And I understand it. There's a lot to unpick in what you just said, however. Um, it was massively disappointing because England's bowlers had dragged England back into the game. You know, New Zealand are a really good side. They're here for the World Test Championship because they're really good. And... They made six changes, and what was really noticeable was that all of them were basically like-for-like replacements. Like they understood exactly what their game plan was. When Williamson got injured, Will Young came in, um, and he and he batted beautifully at number three. Batted like a number three, didn't he? They exchanged um, Daryl Mitchell for Colin de Grandom, like-for-like right-arm batting bowlers essentially. Matt Henry came in for Tim Southey, did exactly the same job, knew what he had to do. Watling got a bit of an injury. Blundell comes in. He bats down the order in a place that he's not 100% used to, but he's a keeper and a proper keeper at that, has kept for New Zealand. So, and, and even the left-arm spinner replacement, it was actually a slightly better left-arm spinner, but yeah. he doesn't bat quite as well. So, they, they're just consummate New Zealand they've got test cricket they've worked it out at the moment they're very fortunate because they've got a great group of players but they're also a lot of those players are playing in a domestic structure they're not playing an awful lot of T20 cricket their test match team is very understandable it's a smaller group of players to choose from they've got some advantages but they're also living through a golden age we we looked like we were going through a constant stream of self-examination Jeremy Coney that I worked with this week said to me something fascinating he said Dan you in England you're terribly good at talking and arguing and coming up with different ideas and that's fantastic you're really really good at it but you know sometimes you just have to see the ball and hit it <laughs> it, it isn't as difficult as you all make it out to be yeah and, no. and and obviously he was making a kind of frivolous point, but he was kind of right at the same time. You see, within the England setup, just overthinking, and it's mm. and within the players themselves. Ollie Pope is one of, I think, well, he's he's could be the best batter of his generation. He's got all the natural attributes, and he, he plays superbly. But I see him thinking at the moment, and and what one of the great attributes of Ollie is that he is a good thinker. He thinks about his game. And he adapts when things go wrong. But he's actually sort of thinking to such an extent that he's, he's changed his whole, well, outcomes, his whole method. He's gone so far across to Ofstam to guard Ofstam. With Dan Lawrence, you have a, a, a bizarre thing. You know, you watch a guy who at the beginning of his innings, his technique is so hard, grip, bottom hand, everything's going to leg. And yet, if he's in for 30 or 40 balls, suddenly he can open up the offside. Suddenly he can drive. So it just makes him unbelievably vulnerable early on. You've got a series of players who look like they're struggling with their method. And then you look at New Zealand, you look at Conway, and you look at Young, and you look at Williamson, and you look at Nichols. They don't move, really, at the crease. They sort of 
there and they sort of know where their off stump is and that's all that really obsesses them. And they play that game really, really well against some really, really good bowling. I mean, Broad was magnificent in that first one. He bowled some absolute jaffers, but he was up against a side that was remorseless and they're, they're sort of carved out and fashioned out of, of Kane Williamson in the same way that the one-day team six years ago was fashioned out of McCullum. Mm. And in the same way that McCullum's one-day team, I think, influenced Owen Morgan and England's one-day approach, I'd like to think that, you know, England will look at that and think that's the way you do it. But just, just to sort of finish off on the muddledness of it all, James Bracey is, is, again, a very fine player at county cricket. He doesn't, he bats at three. He, he doesn't get out when he plays defensive shots. Until this test match, 172 defensive shots per dismissal. He was picked as a number seven keeper. I mean, this, this thinking is insane, really. And you can say it comes, it's part of the rotation process. It's a consequence of that. Sam Billings was in the squad who does bat at 6-7 for his county and does keep wicket, just pick him. You know, it's like picking Jason Roy to open the batting in the ashes. We've just gone from one extreme to the other. You have mm. Jason Roy, one ashes, and then you have Burns and Sibley. You know, you have Bracey at seven. What, what, what is that? Belt and Bracey at seven? That used to be the butler role. It used to be Moeen Alley. We had a ready-made mm. all-rounder in Moeen Alley. We couldn't find a place for a spinner. You've got Moeen Alley. He's a batting all-rounder. We lacked any all-rounders. The whole balance of the selection and of the way that way it was put together was poor. But also, Toby, and this is something that, that maybe Finney can speak to, is does the structure of English cricket as it currently stands in any way help Test cricket? Are we really structuring it to help Test cricket? And if we're not, let's be honest with ourselves and say we're discovered that we're really good at one-day cricket. It's really good fun. That's when we get the best nights, um, even if Test cricket makes the most money and and we're not really going to bother trying to improve it because it doesn't look like we're trying to improve Test cricket the way we're currently going about it. It's, it, it I agree with everything you're saying. It certainly doesn't look good because you look at these guys, their first-class averages aren't through the roof. These guys average 30-odd in first-class cricket a lot. Except Pope, well, except Pope. Except Pope, Pope who's got a wonderful first-class average. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and there's some, you know, there are also, you, mean, you mentioned it there, the technique thing. I mean, there's some funky techniques up there. You look at Sibley and Burns, two bizarre techniques. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't score runs of it. Players with bizarre techniques have scored runs, ask, you know, Shivnaran Shandipal. But it just looks like the fundamentals and the basics aren't there. Now, Finney, I want to ask you, because you've, you've you know, I know you've not played as much four-day cricket in recent years, but that England team, and I know it was a freakish generation like New Zealand are enjoying right now, but your Strauss, Cook, Bell, Peterson, Collingwood, Pryor, Trot, I mean, the list is absolutely ridiculous. The players that couldn't get into that team would walk into this team nowadays. You've bowled against batsmen currently in the four-day game. Do you feel the qualities there? Do you feel these batsmen are as good at playing four-day cricket as those those names that roll to the tongue there? And they're clearly not. I mean, let's be honest, but, but why not? And is it what the answer is there? Do you think the structure of the game isn't going to produce test batsmen at the moment. Yeah, I think it's hard for batsmen to get any sort of rhythm with their game, with the wickets generally that you play on in county cricket at the moment. You're facing um, people who bowl in the mid-70s generally um, in county cricket who on wickets that are soft and the ball's moving around. So people develop techniques in order to 
counter that, i.e. getting over to off stump in order to try and get yourself outside the line of off stump so that when it nips back, the umpire thinks it's hitting you outside the line or it is hitting you outside the line. Um, and it's not very easy to just flit and change all of a sudden to go and play on good test match wickets of these as these two test match wickets have been against New Zealand to just automatically um, flip yourself back in and say, right, I'm going to bat like this this week. Um, so I, th I do think there's a number of factors at play. Um, it's probably not surprising that the person who scored runs was Rory Burns, who plays at the Oval. Um, and the game that I saw Middlesex play at the Oval, it was a bit, the overheads and stuff made it hard batting on the first two days, but then days three and four, the Oval showed why it's such a good wicket and Rory Burns scored 100 in that game. Um, so I, I think... You know, there are a number of factors um, that, and again, someone who's more qualified at talking about batting than me would be able to put their finger on exactly the technical aspects of it. But I know as a bowler, um, if you go from bowling on wet wickets, pitching the ball up there to just automatically turn up the next day and say, oh, I'm going to bowl completely differently today. It's not that easy. And I'd imagine it's exactly the same with batsmen. So, yeah, I'd say the, the problem runs deeper than the people who you have in the team because you look around English cricket and do you think there are better people out there that could go and do a better job than the guys in the team at the moment? You know, there's a few people banging at the door in county cricket, but not loads of them um, by sheer weight of runs uh, and the manner in which they score them. Um, so I'd say it runs a little bit deeper than um than just saying you know these guys techniques aren't good or this isn't good um it's probably a bit more institutionalized than that i'm, I'm kind of hoping this is a watershed moment for the test team because when england hit rock bottom as a white ball team was when they turned around and went do you know what you know this isn't working we need to do something about it and they put a structure in place and, and, and look what it's done and i think the problem with because we're so good in english conditions because we've got the bowlers for it we've got anderson and broad and stuff Every time we think there's chaos in the test team, we then come back and play a home series and we win because the conditions suit us and we paper over the cracks for another six months and then there's chaos again in the winter and then we come back and win in England because we're good in England. And I feel like this should be a watershed moment where we've been completely outplayed by look, a wonderful New Zealand side, but no no side should be steamrolling through us like they did at Edgebaston on, on, on that Saturday afternoon. So I do hope this is, is a watershed moment for this English Test team and they start thinking about how they can improve the team because I don't believe that it has to be one or the other. That If the England are going to have a good ODI team, then the Test team has to be rubbish and vice versa. I don't believe that has to be the case. Daniel, I know you're about to make a point. Go for it. You've got to... You've got to have some perspective on this. They, they won two tests in Sri Lanka and the first test in Chennai and one of the most brilliant performances. An awful lot depended on Root and, and indeed on Broad and Anderson at, at various points in those test matches. That's true. But they also had Stokes and they also had Butler at various points. What's happened is that from that high point, and it was a high point, winning three away tests running, after having come to a successful bubble summer, they got ambushed on some nightmarish conditions that were alien to them. It seems that it spooked them to me, but it spooked them to the extent that in that first test at Lords, I mean, we talked about whether or not they could have gone for it, whether they could have gone for 275 and 75 overs. It's not about going for it. It's about showing any kind of intent that you might be in the game. You know, and New Zealand could see in that first session when Burns and Sibley went nowhere, 
that England was a team that was defensive in its posture. You know, Williamson had given them an extraordinary... You won't see a declaration like that in Test no. again for a very long time. Um, and when New Zealand then found that England had sort of thought they'd got away with the draw and they'd now come to Edgebaston, they were filled with all their positivity. They knew exactly what their game plan, their idea was. This England side has been messed around with. It hasn't got those, or, you know, it didn't have Stokes and Butler. They're two cool people thought-wise as much as anything else. It's not just what you do with the bat and what you do in the field. It's what you give to the side, what belief you give to the side about what they can do. And that wasn't there. So we might be looking at an anomalous series. And it might be that it's not, that isn't what's rock bottom. Do you know what I mean? Um, but at the same time, the fear is, what, what are who are the people that come at the top of the order? Ha, Hasib Amid? Maybe. But, you know, we're all terrified of Hasib Amid. We don't want to ruin Hasib Amid because we believe he could be fantastic. Um, David Milan, he got 100 at Perth. So does that mean you get him in now because you think he was ideal for Australian conditions? We've just got lots of questions. And New Zealand had all the answers. Very well put, Daniel. Fiddy, what did you make of it as, a, as an ex-cricketer, well, a current uh, cricketer and an ex-England cricketer, but also an England fan as well? What did you make of it? Um, well, I think it highlighted the importance of Ben Stokes, and that's probably quite an obvious thing to say in terms of the way that he balances the team means that you have your fourth seamer and you can play a spinner, which I think everyone will admit now in hindsight was necessary on that wicket. You needed to play a spinner um, with the weather set fair and the dry nature of it. Um, yeah, I think England will look at that and think that they missed a trick doing that. But yeah, it, it definitely highlights the absence of the two guys, which is why I'm also reticent to um, be too critical at the moment of them um, because it's a two test match series, which is a very hard way to judge a team um, because it's over before you even realise it started. Um, and I think that the true judge is going to be obviously playing against India at the end of this summer. I also think that you're right. We, we have to give New Zealand an immense amount of credit for the way that they come over here. And they've obviously prepared very well for English conditions, um, practising and understanding and knowing how to come over here and play. And they did it. And I thought they executed everything that they wanted to do brilliantly across the two test matches. And a lot of credit has to go to them. And also it's the reason why they're in the World Test Championship final and England aren't at the moment. They're teams at different stages mm. of their evolution. Um, so, yeah, I'm, um, I'm reticent to be too critical at the moment the India tests are really going to be the big test when England will almost certainly play their full strength team for the whole series yeah I completely agree can I, can I just say one thing yeah. that, that, was, that was even more upsetting possibly than, uh, than than the way England's batting collapsed having got the game back it was well, we were at the halfway stage at three o'clock on day three two innings had gone down there were 45 overs left to play and the match was over by the end of the day I mean that's how stark it was but in many ways, the worst thing was that every time I came into the building at Edgebaston and came up the lift and walked out, there was a picture of Stephen Finn right in front of my face. Oh. And then when I walked in into the media centre, turned left, there was another one. It was like he was literally everywhere. You've got some good memories at Edgebaston there. Well, I, I <laughs> sent a photo. I was queuing for some mac and cheese. I was, you know, I'd had a few beers by the afternoon. It was a hot day. I thought I'm going to treat myself to some mac and cheese here. 
big photo behind the Mac and G stand of Stephen no, well. walking off, holding the ball up in the air after taking a fiver. I was like, I, I try and get some Mac and cheese in, in peace. And there's Stephen Finn. Put me off my lunch. Good, you, good. You, I hope you're having nightmares about that net because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're, you're, there's more pictures of you, Edge Bastard, than there are of Ian Bell. Oh, yeah. sake. It's absolutely it insane. And, and you're very brave for a man who knows that he's got to face 72.9 miles an hour at some point. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, now, quickly, before um, I, I do want to say one thing, because well, I am emotional and I'm upset and I'm angry about the, about the cricket. It wasn't yes. a million years ago that, like you say, they're winning in Sri Lanka and they've had some great results in, in South Africa and stuff like that. And so as long as they get it right for the Ashes, I, I, I hope, that, you know, Rory Burns, Dom Sibley, Zach Crawley, Joe Root, Ollie Poe, I hope they shut up idiots like me in the winter and I'll be front and centre with my shirt off, waving it around my head if we win the Ashes and act like I've never criticised them before in my life. So I hope they do shut me up. Um, I do want to talk as well about the England women's uh, test match coming up. Hopefully they can show the men how it's done. And it's so nice to have England women's test cricket back. I mean, obviously Norcross, they got slightly left behind in the covid bubble of last summer and and, yes. and 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 that was obviously a huge controversial point and so so nice to have english women's test cricket back it, it well te- the test cricket is fantastic that there's sort of two points here to unpick i guess when one is you know england's women didn't get out onto the park until september it was freezing cold and it was only really because you know india india was scheduled to come over and wouldn't cut and the west indies came in at the last minute of salvage England summer, if you can call it that, they went out, they went out and played their first games in, in autumn. And then they went out to New Zealand. So they've had some more cricket since then. India have had next to nothing. And suddenly this test match was announced out of nowhere. It was brilliant. The BCCI announced it. I don't know how much everyone else knew about it, but suddenly we were playing a test match in England against uh, against India. And the last time England had played against India was 2014 at Wormsey. They played hardly any test matches. It's basically against Australia. So it's a test, actually, of the professionalisation of, of women's cricket. Uh, what we're going to see is, have we got more penetration in the bowling? You know, in women's test cricket, the major problem is that the batters are extremely technically proficient. So the moment they realise that, that they can't win, they make damn sure they draw. They're not like the, the men in that sense, who seem to just want to go on to the golf course. They will stick it out to the bitter end. And uh, what you need, therefore, is a challenging pitch in which bowlers can come to life. Wickets have to be, you know, there has, has to be jeopardy out there. So we're, all eyes will be on the pitch and all eyes will be in some fantastic women, Indian women's players. Spriti Mandana, I can't wait to see. Uh, Jemima Ivan Rodrigues, the most extraordinarily named cricketer possibly in uh, in world cricket. Uh, lots of excitement about her. And Shafali Verma, 17-year-old, smacks it all over the place out for India. England, you have no idea how a test match is going to go when two sides don't... I mean, they don't even play two- and three-day domestic cricket. So this is an extraordinarily big ask in front of cameras and everyone will be... I say everyone, but there'll be there'll be a certain group of society that will be looking at this and saying, oh, this is boring, and forgetting that, you know, Dom Sibley and Rory Burns batted for an entire session and scored 46 runs off the bat, 33 overs. Um, there'll be a little bit of that that we have to encounter. But I think England, this will be a test of England's new era as well. Professionalism has come to women's cricket in greater numbers now. We're seeing quicker bowlers. We're seeing you know, Kate Cross might play. Uh, Catherine Brunt, she's still around. She still gets, she bowls about your pace. Um, a little bit faster. Rapid. Actually, 
sort of seventy five actually. Send, so send um, the keeper back to the site screen if I were. But yeah, good luck. Yeah, uh, and if we've got a nice, quick, bouncy pitch, that'll be intriguing. And again, for England, we've got Sophie Eccleston. If there's a little bit of turn in there, she's five foot ten. She bowls at a lovely pace, about 52, 53 miles an hour. If done a little bit more occasionally, she gets genuine turn from a big height. Um, I can't wait. It'll be quite fun. Yeah, uh, well, more than quite fun. The, the, the option is the World Test Championship final, but to do that, you've got to go into a bio bubble. Whereas I get to go to Bristol and hang out and have a laugh. Yeah, well, I think as well, it's not every day that uh, England probably have the best spinner in a series against India, but Eccleston's, It's not bad, is it? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. Un- unbelievably good. <laughs> uh, but lovely to see you both, chaps, and I'll see you next week. Finney, go well, mate. Go well this week. Thank you. Looking forward to it. See you next week. 72.9. Yeah, I want you to see those numbers as you're trying to sleep. 72.9, Finn. Remember that, mate. And also, just climb off the bottom of that table if you can. Yeah. We'll do our best. (laughs) If Tim Murtagh packs up, I know a guy that bowls the same pace as him. Give me a call. Speak to you soon, chaps. (laughs) Have a good one. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.